may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and I'm here with... Allie! And the two of us today will be watching... Rear Window. I am so stupid excited about this. Awesome. Okay, so Allie, what do you know about Rear Window? Uh, fuck nothing. <laughs> yes! Yes! I know it's a classic. That's this, literally it. This is going to be one of the happiest days of my life. This is, <laughs> oh, I love this movie. So I will be very brief in my introduction. It is Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, that part I was pretty sure about. And it is uh, the closure of our little uh, Jimmy Stewart trio of films that okay. we're doing here. So we've got James Stewart. And really, I don't know if I want to tell you much else. I kind of, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, you're going to be so delighted. I'm excited to go into this completely blind. <laughs> so, so dear listeners, if you've never seen Rear Window, it's one of the great classics of Hitchcock. It's, he had a good five, six years right in the middle of his career where he was just turning out pure gold. And this is a ridiculously fun movie. Seek it out and watch it if, if you haven't already. And uh, we'll be back after this brief interlude to talk about it. Yay! Yay! And we are back, and we have watched Rear Window. It was so good! I thought you'd like this oh one. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's it's everything I wanted it to be. What are your initial impressions? Uh, it was snappy. Oh yeah. And I I liked the treatment of the, the female characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't expect to as much as I did. Um, mm-hmm. Fair. I... I I just, you know, I'm a little jaded by the films of the era. And, and you know, you've seen Vertigo, you know. It's, uh, hmm. I've seen some shit. Yeah, he's seen some shit. Um, but no, the uh, both uh, Grace Kelly and uh, Thelma Redder's characters are treated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, at least by uh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yes. detective, not so much. He, I, I, We're watching this scene. <laughs> and the detective talks down to Grace Kelly and I just go, slap him! <laughs> I was so disappointed she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, it was so good. Uh, I I didn't know anything about the plot going in, just that mm-hmm. there was a window involved and some binoculars, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was intense at the end there. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, once the two women leave the apartment oh, my to go God. sleuthing for I themselves. I was going to die. <gasps> It, like, from then on, it is some of the best stuff that oh, Hitchcock yeah. has ever directed. Yes. Some, some of the best suspense work. And, I mean, part of it is because, you know, for part of those scenes, Jimmy Stewart is, like, playing the part of the audience. Like, yeah. get out of there. Get out of there. I can't help you. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could help. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was really tense. Yeah. I thought for sure she was going out the window at one point. Oh, yeah. In the struggle. I'm like, oh, God. I... I I was like watching between my fingers. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and how about you know, when, when she positions herself yes. with the ring yes. and points at it? Oh my God. Like, good job, <laughs> but 
too good a job. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and don't do it right in front of Raymond Burr. No, no, because, no, 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 no. Because like, then he looks at you and is like, oh no, Perry Mason's got us. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but, oh, man. Oh, it's so it's it's so snappy. It, it's a wonderful script, yeah. and it's so it, it it's a wonderful kind of fishbowl movie where the the entire movie is until you get to that final scene. Yeah, um, it's shot from within the apartment. Yeah, and so you're as trapped as Jeff is. Yeah, and yeah. but you have this entire this spectacular set filled with all these actors and all these different stories going on. Yeah, that. And, that's probably the best part for me. It's just yeah. all the other drama that's going on around it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just, oh, there's only this one window where only one interesting thing happens and all the rest of this is nondescript. Yeah. It's, it It is complex. It's yeah. life. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're all tense about what's going on in the apartment with... Lisa in the apartment, and also there's Mrs. Lonely Heart. Yeah, at the Miss same time, I'm freaking out, going, call the fucking <laughs> cops. <Yeah. laughs> she is going to kill herself. Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and it, oh, Miss Lonely Hearts is writing a letter now. I guess she's fine. No! I know. I'm no! Like, Do you know anything, dude? Like, no. you're supposed to be worldly. I can't imagine you've oh never seen God. something like this before. You are the worst. Well, I mean, it, well, there's a difference between worldly yes, and, yes. and, like, understanding. Oh, yes, for sure. But understanding just, women. Understanding women. <laughs> but it, it, I just feel like there has to have been it some point in all the crazy shit he's done mm-hmm. seeing something like this happen to a person yeah cuz you don't go through war and everything else and not see people get affected right so it's like how do you not see this <laughs> cuz you're dumb <laughs> I, I mean it, it could also be i mean he almost he is seems a little preoccupied in his defense he's a little preoccupied <laughs> but also um he seems like a little bit of an adrenaline junkie yeah. so he's not as much into the small story as he is into the i'm shooting yeah. f1 <laughs> and yeah. i'm going i'm going to get my uh uh, leg broken because I'm shooting a car. Because crash. I need the shot. Yeah. Because <laughs> I need the. I need. The I shot. need the shot. It's art. Yeah. Art. <laughs> it's like I, I for for the listeners. I did the Iron Giant meme art. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> this, this is the only way I can say that word. It's art. <laughs> and that's the only way it should be. Said. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's so it's so fun. It's, it is. Um, I want all of Thelma Ritter's wardrobe. I mean, yeah. Grace Kelly was gorgeous, but Thelma Ritter's was way more my speed. Yeah, like, I can I can wear that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I can wear the the nice button down shirt dresses. I can do mm-hmm. that. And they had such fun patterns. Yeah, she dresses you know conservatively, but still fun. Yeah, which I really liked. Is it it's like, well, yeah, I, I may I may have I may be a professional, but I'm not dead. <laughs> Well, this is all Edith Head's work, of course. Of course it is. <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> no, the, from the moment Grace Kelly stepped into the frame, I'm like, this must be Edith Head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it would, Grace Kelly could make pretty much anything look good. Right, right. But Grace Kelly plus Edith Head is like magic happening. Yes. Just, yeah. The, the, the moment that Grace Kelly walks on screen in that first scene is just magnetic. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that and it it tells you so much about the character. Yeah, 
You know, it's she's wearing this wonderful gown, and oh, it was a steal at eleven hundred dollars. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> in nineteen fifty four. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and it just the fact that it it highlights exactly what he was trying to tell uh, Stella about Lisa is that she's from this completely different world from him, and she'll never be able to be happy with these little things that he has. And it is so wonderfully highlighted. By one single dress. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you really are from that world. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 He, he's not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and Moscow Night signals my dog wants to be let in. Hold on. <laughs> so, oh, but also in that same scene, she has the, they have the little, uh, discussion about the cigar case it's like yes. oh this one's old and broken i know you got it in shanghai but i i ordered a new one for you it's very it, it this one's far too ornate you need a plain one with just your initials yes. on it it's and like oh you don't understand yeah like that was also a beautiful highlight of just this is who i am as a character mm-hmm. it's like, i don't understand the importance of something you picked up in shanghai mm-hmm. which you know most i think people who are not quite as privileged as her would be like you got that in Shanghai? That is awesome. Right. Like, you should hold on to that for the rest of your life. And she's just like, oh, that old thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can and, order you a different one. <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, there there's so much about that that discussion, this sort of discussion happening in the 50s. Like, oh, I, it, we come from different worlds. I don't want to tie her down. I don't want to be tied down by that. But no, really, they do have completely different value sets. such a beautiful juxtaposition yeah. from what you normally see because it's usually like, it's the it's the the plain girl mm-hmm. being courted by the fancier guy who's going mm-hmm. to you know build her up into this princess you know that trope yeah. that we always see and to have it be the opposite where she's the one who's who's already the princess and she's like oh no you'll be fine as my consort mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and and I mean part of you go you dumbass it's Grace Kelly right right <laughs> but but also it's like yeah yeah you can't really see her sitting down and eating fish heads with no, rice. No, no. <laughs> no, you really can't. And and it's... But they're both very worldly in their own ways. Yeah. It, but it's just that two very, very different, different worlds. worlds. Yeah. And uh, that's super real in its own way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, as, as much as she is just an unreal character. I mean, she's, yeah. she, I mean there's nothing... There's nothing and, that's I mean, not the, realistic. Yeah. But it's just like, I can't get my head around this. Like, well, this I mean, life that you live. Grace Kelly actually did exist. Well, you know? yes. So, and, yes. And, 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 you know, kind of is kind of, kind of what she's like in the movie, L- you know? Literal princess. <laughs> literal princess. Only a couple years after this was when she, yeah. you know, married Prince of Monaco and yeah. <laughs> and became Princess Grace. What must that be like? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, apparently it did not go well. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm sure it was nice for a hot minute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I just, it's, she's so unrelatable in some ways, but then in other ways, it's like, no, I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's a, she's a fashion plate. And and, well, the thing is, Grace Kelly is such a great performer. Yeah. She's a great actress. And she, when she wafts in, she doesn't play off like snooty or anything like that. It's just the... This is her passion. This is what she does. You know exactly why she does it because she does it well. Mm-hmm. And 
she's got the she's totally got the hots for Jeff. Oh, for sure. And and that's and it, it and it's absolutely genuine. And yeah. it's just like this is just this is what this woman is like. Yeah, I and I I, 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 the thing I got about her was not that she's she's stuck up or snooty because she's yeah she's, she's really not. not she's not she she understands that there is another side to life yeah that is just not the side she lives on, but she's well intentioned yeah in in her her doting and her you know her lavishing him with these wonderful things that he's just like. What the hell are you even doing right now? Is this lobster on my table? Like it's lobster thermidor on your yeah. table. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just like, yep, it's perfect. Yeah. It's yeah. perfect again. Why is this my life? You know? <laughs> what did I do? What did I do deserve to deserve this? this? Like, I can't decide if I did something <laughs> to deserve this and it's good, or I did something to deserve this and it's bad. <laughs> is, it, is this a a gilded prison? I don't know. <laughs> Am I in purgatory? Is that what this is? <laughs> <laughs> but I, my leg is broken and there's lobster thermidor in front of me and I, grace kelly and grace kelly i'm not gonna bitch yeah until after dinner and then i'm gonna try to break up with her yeah and that's not gonna go well no because <laughs> she is stubborn mm-hmm. which is beautiful mm-hmm. she's just like whatever i'll eat fish heads maybe <laughs> maybe allegedly maybe, maybe theoretically i can cultivate an interest in fish heads <laughs> if i if i have sufficient motivation i suppose <laughs> well, i kind of love that she kind of proves to him that's like yeah i can go out and do adventurous stuff you know <laughs> fuck you i'll go into this guy's apartment and, right. and collect evidence and catch him for murder sure <laughs> i'll go to jail <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm so ready for this. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but when when she and and Thelma Ritter just buckle down, oh my and it's god, like, we're going out there. And we're gonna like, go dig some shit up. And he's like, "Are you kidding what? me right now? <laughs> if I had use of both of my legs, I would be holding you both back." <laughs> and <laughs> I've always wanted to meet Mrs. Thorwell. Oh my god, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I love that time so much. <laughs> that the script is so wonderfully grisly at it some point. It really points. is. It's just. It's very, very dark. Yeah. Like holy shit! But like, in the most relatable way. Because mm-hmm. who hasn't been in a really like awkward dark situation where it's just like I'm gonna make jokes now. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only way I can get through this. Black humor is gonna save me right now. Right. <laughs> I'm either gonna cry or I'm gonna make a really inappropriate joke and I've decided to err on the side of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <sighs> Such a fun movie. Really, oh. really was. And, uh, and you know so much it, it's, it's so pertinent today too just because of the the voyeurism and yeah, the, it's it's interesting what parts have kind of slipped away in relevance. And there's very few of those. Yeah, yeah. It the voyeurism is just a different different type. It, we're looking through different windows. Yeah, it's, it's Facebook windows now. Oh yeah, uh, we're we're spying on each other all the time. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in a certain way, you know, we're on we're on display all the yeah. time too. Yeah, it, we're always kind of performing for each other in this super horrifyingly connected world <laughs> yes. that we live in these yes. days. Uh, you know, it's, oh, who's watching me? I, what can I do to make myself interesting? Oh, that didn't get many likes at all. Oh, damn it. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name can I drop? <laughs> Whose apartment can I break into now? <laughs> How 
can I make you want to break into my apartment and notice me? (laughs) 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 Oh, Uh, gosh. So the, um, the set for this movie is extraordinary. It's one of the... At the time, it was, I think, the largest set that Paramount ever built. Oh, I would believe that. Because it, it was all indoors. I think parts of it were over six stories tall. Wow. They actually had to bust through the floor and dig into the basement. Oh, wow. The, the uh, flower beds um, on the floor of the basement of the studio and Jeff's apartment is actually at ground level. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's how much space they needed vertically. Um, there were something like 30 apartments in the set, oh, wow. eight of them fully furnished. They had running water and lights. Uh, Miss Torso's apartment. Uh, she liked it so much that she just live in it all day while they were shooting. <laughs> That's just adorable. Hang out in her apartment. It, it took like two months to build. 50, 50 people. It was lit by one thousand arc lights wow. to simulate daylight. They could change over the lighting to nighttime in 45 minutes. It, it was oh, that's huge. impressive. Yeah, it was huge and this amazing piece of engineering. That is super elaborate. I, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that. Yeah. It, I, it, I almost expected that they found some kind of courtyard to, yeah. to do this in. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just something that they could recreate with, you know, stand-ups. And, <laughs> but, I mean, obviously or, it was quite way more ornate than that but that's kind of what i was expecting was like dollhouses <laughs> or, or some sort of um compositing like yeah the, yeah like like the jeff's apartment was one set and everything else yeah was yeah but no it was all one big that's thing so impressive and apparently hitchcock only worked in the one apartment so everything was shot from oh wow that from that perspective mm-hmm. oh that's really cool mm-hmm so, so you know, adding to that voyeuristic yeah, quality. Yeah. You, you only get out of the, the apartment when Jeff gets out of the apartment when he's thrown out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that was somehow not what I expected to happen. <laughs> to have, a, to have both him go, legs. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as he was dangling out the window, then I expected both legs to be broken. But I did not <laughs> expect him to end up out the window. So up until that moment, I was like, is he just going to strangle him? Like, what mm-hmm. is there going to be like fisticuffs going on here, mm-hmm. rolling around on the floor? Like, what? I did not expect Raymond Burr to haul him up and just launch him out the window. There. Roll him out the window. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> that was intense. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> the flashbulbs was a stroke of genius. Flashbulbs was really great. Apparently, uh, uh, Hitchcock took some of the crew members and locked them in a dark room and, like, flashbulb them to oh my god so they could describe what it looked like when they're getting their vision back <laughs> the, and apparently like the first effect they were like nope 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 that no that <laughs> that doesn't look like it at all and finally the uh, the guy who was i think it was the editor who came up with the the effect the that the orange. That, that orange bloom uh-huh yeah that, i mean that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I've seen some flash bulbs in my day. <laughs> yeah, those flash bulbs were. Oh my god! Bright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wasteful. <laughs> oh yes. Very. No, but one but, use only. Yeah. But you know that was that was a pretty good use of those. I'm gonna say. Yeah. He had yeah. a. He, I'm all for that. Yeah. If you, if it's gonna save your damn life, you know, go yeah. ahead. Waste yeah. some flash bulbs. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Oh, let's see what else. Um, so 
everybody was pretty much performing at the same time in all these different apartments. Uh-huh. So all the actors had these flesh-colored earpieces in so they could receive directions from, oh, cool. from Hitchcock. And uh, the married couple with the mattress out in the balcony, uh-huh. the ones with the dog, uh, for the scene where it started raining and they had to go into the apartment, Hitchcock gave each of them different sets of instructions. That's awesome. So that's why they're doing <laughs> they're, they're scrambling over it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because one thought they were going one way and one thought they were going the other. And... Oh, that was great. Because <laughs> I, I, I loved that part. Oh, yeah. Because that's totally natural. Like, oh, shit, I've just been woken up yeah. by rain. And what are we doing? Okay, let, no, no, we're doing this now. <laughs> this one. No, no, this one. This No, this one's closer. <laughs> we're wet. Sleeping on the balcony. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, sleeping on the balcony, but I also love the dog trolley. Yes. The little dog basket. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I was going to, as we were sitting there, I'm, I'm just looking going, I want to ask if something happens to the dog, but I don't want to know because I already know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's Chekhov's dog. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh no. Yeah. Once you see the dog, you know, scrabbling at the petunias. Oh, like, yes. oh that dog, that, that dog's dog dead. That <laughs> dog is not long for this world. No, no. Like, ooh, <laughs> you've gotten into the zinnias. Now you have to go. Yeah. 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 But I love that, you know, everybody in their own little apartments has this arc. Yeah. Miss Lonely Hearts, you know, trying to find love and it doesn't go well. You know, good for her for like, you know, tossing that guy out. Yeah, yeah. But like, then but you know, through all the murder rigmarole, she winds up in the songwriter's apartment. Yes. And I love Because his music saved her life. Yes. <laughs> and and Miss Torso, you know, her her guy comes Stanley comes home. Yes. <laughs> and and that's a happy ending. And yeah. 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 It's so, so totally cute. Oh, by the way, the the, the songwriter in the apartment. Yeah. Uh, that's the guy who created Alvin and the Chipmunks. Shut up. It is. <laughs> he does look like a Dave Seville type, doesn't he? He really does. <laughs> Just imagine that apartment with Hitchcock <laughs> winding the clock and, and three chipmunks running around in like varsity shirts. <sighs> We'll never unsee that. Right? <laughs> oh, uh, let's see. Everybody on site was totally in love with Grace Kelly. Uh, as you should be. Um, she she was just one of those actresses where everybody just loved working with her. She was just mm-hmm. like the, the image of comportment and kindness. And, yeah, she seems and like she's just... Generous. Was always very sweet to everybody. Yeah. Like... Yeah. God, she just oozes charisma. Yeah, she really does. <laughs> she really does. Very, very regal. Yeah, she she did yeah. she did really good on her character roles there. <laughs> and and apparently Jimmy Stewart is like the only leading man she ever worked with that she did not wind up sleeping with. So that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So so I've heard. So I've heard. She was she was apparently she had a habit of falling in love with her leading men, but nothing wrong with Jimmy that. Stewart was very very married. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but they, they were both very fond of her or, or they were both very fond of each other. And, uh, when, uh, she passed away tragically mm-hmm. in the early eighties, um, in a car crash, uh, Jimmy Stewart gave a eulogy Aww. at her funeral. It was very sweet and very sad. So dear listeners, if you're not familiar with Grace Kelly, <laughs> here we go. Yeah, here we go. She had a somewhat short career in Hollywood, but she had kind of the rocket to stardom and maintained mm-hmm. it 
for the few years that she had it. Mm-hmm. Um, she she had like one movie role where she wasn't noticed, and then she was cast in High Noon, which was <laughs> amazing. Um, so like by twenty three, she was one of the big mm-hmm. actresses in Hollywood. And then you know she did several films, and then fell in with Hitchcock, and she did three movies with Hitchcock, and they're all fantastic. And um, eventually, uh, she met Prince Rainier of Monaco, and three days later he proposed to her. She said yes, and she became Princess of Monaco, and that was where her film career ended. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So she raised three kids uh, with him, and um, she... The the podcast, uh, uh, you must remember this, Mm -hmm. did a very good biography of Grace Kelly. So I recommend you track that down if you're interested in her. But um, in a nutshell, you know, she was kind of frustrated being kind of locked away in the role of princess. So she did try to get back into acting a couple times. She basically wasn't allowed to. And um, in the early 80s, like 1982, I think it was, um, she was driving around a, a very uh, a highway that went around a cliff side and uh, her daughter was in the car and she had a stroke while driving and plummeted oh, to her death in a car crash. Uh, her, her daughter survived, but uh, Grace did not. Wow. So very, very sad and tragic death. And, and, there are some film critics, uh, like most notably Daniel Spato, who was the the guy who was um, the proponent of you know Hitchcock being very obsessed with his blonde actresses. This was kind of like <laughs> he was first working with Ingrid Bergman, and she was kind of his muse. And Ingrid Bergman ran off and married Rossellini, yeah, <laughs> and then. So he had to find a new blonde, so he found Grace Kelly, and Grace Kelly was his muse, and she ran off and married Prince of Monaco. <laughs> and so then he he targeted poor Tippi Hedren. Oh, poor Tippi Hedren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, oh, poor Tippi Hedren. Anyway, um, yeah, the, the short and glamorous life of Grace Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Movie star and model and literal princess literal princess in fashion plate yeah and everybody loved her yeah uh let's see what else what else can you talk about so we've already talked about hitchcock in uh our shadow of a doubt Mm -hmm. episode i think we also well we talked about him at length in vertigo yes (laughs) the vertigo episode and of course james stewart we just uh did his whole biography in the um uh call north side 777 episode two episodes ago and we talked about Thelma Ritter on pickup on South street, but we have Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Now you are a fan of Perry Mason. Right? I am such a fan of Perry Mason. <laughs> this is, this is why I was like, I can't wait to show this to Allie. <laughs> gosh, gosh, how did you guess that I'm a Perry Mason fan? <laughs> oh, oh man. Gosh. <laughs> Yeah, like that's that's one of the things that my my dad and I would do when we were both uh, out of work in the height of the recession, sit on the couch and watch Perry Mason and Westerns. <laughs> that's awesome. That's just awesome. It's a good way to pass the time. <laughs> I always wanted to um 
I used to be involved in a comic book called uh, Dr. Blink's Superhero Shrink, and one of the characters that we never got to that I desperately wanted to do was Raymond Burr. So, B-R-R, he had a briefcase full of cold. Oh my god. Right? Oh my god. Yeah, like supervillain Raymond Burr. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> Someday I'll use that somewhere. Oh my god. I'm gonna learn to draw just so we can do this. Just so we can just so we can make Raymond Burr. Actually, I think we did concept art for Raymond Burr. (laughs) Amazing. But anyway, the real Raymond Burr, Canadian actor. Yeah, spent his early life in China. Okay. Yep. And came back to Canada with his parents when he was a kid, and then they split up, and he wound up moving out to California with his mom, which is how he wound up out in Hollywood land. Um. Kind of during the depression, he took bunches of odd jobs to keep his family happy. Well, happy, you know, food, fooded, yeah. fooded. And uh, so he was like a ranch hand and a deputy sheriff and a nightclub singer and as you do, <laughs> salesman, whatever. And then he went off to World War II, uh, got shot in the stomach in Okinawa, got oh. sent back home. And uh, somewhere in there, he wound up uh, working with the Pasadena Playhouse and uh, and eventually got into movies. Uh, he debuted in a movie called San Quentin in 1946 and then did something like 90 movies before he got cast as Perry Mason. Wow. Yeah, just like... I didn't realize just, his career was quite that prolific. Yeah, he was very busy man <laughs> for yeah, a while. I'm kidding. <laughs> He, uh, very early in his career, he worked with uh, Errol Flynn. And Errol Flynn, um, I can't remember what the quote is, but he said, if I if I have died with $10 in my pocket, I've done something wrong. <laughs> and so Burr always took that to heart. He was like one of the biggest philanthropists in Hollywood. He was very generous. Um, he, he loved to cook. He loved to have dinner parties for his friends. Uh, like even when he was diagnosed with cancer and he passed away in the early 90s, um, when he knew he was sick and he was going to go, he had lots and lots of dinner parties to say farewell to everybody. Um, he he knew how to cultivate orchids, and he had like a side business cultivating different kinds of orchids. And he hybridized an orchid and uh, named it after uh, um, um, Barbara Hale from Perry oh. Mason. <laughs> so he's just literally Nero Wolf, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he was just really awesome. He owned an art gallery. Uh, he had his own private island near Fiji, and he raised cattle on it, uh, <laughs> like you do. And uh, when he passed away, he left his entire estate to his long-term partner, Robert Benavides. Wow. So, uh, yes, he he was gay. I did not know that. He had a very short-term marriage early on in his career. It did not... It, it, it may have been an arranged thing. Um, I think a couple of his official biographies say he was married three times and had kids and, like, wives passed away and stuff like that. It's, like, that all fabricated. Oh, wow. To cover the fact that he was gay. So he, he met Robert in the, early, in the 1950s. Uh, Robert was a young actor. He was also a Korean War veteran. They became a couple around 1960 and were together until Bert passed away. Wow. They owned a vineyard together. They were in the orchid business together. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> right? 
I love knowing yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so sweet. I'm glad so I know sweet. this now. <laughs> this is why I do this podcast, because Melissa teaches me great things about great people. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Perry Mason was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Way more awesome than I knew. Because like, I, I, I would, obviously, it's, I'm a Perry Mason fan and mm-hmm. not necessarily a Raymond Burr fan, which, yeah. I mean, he's fantastic. I just have not gone out and sought out his other work. Right. You know, I'm just, right. I'm very focused on my mysteries. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he's always such a great presence. Yes. I mean, he's got that commanding voice and he's got this commanding stature. Yeah. He could, he could play a villain like you saw here. And like when he looks at the camera, it's like, oh, oh, oh. we are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but also he could be very reassuring on screen. So yeah. he had this lovely range. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Raymond Burr. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the, the guy who wrote this, the screenplay for this movie was uh, also the guy who worked with Hitchcock on several other screenplay, screenplays like To Catch a Thief and The Man Who Knew Too Much. It's almost like the dog knew too much. (gasps) (laughs) And also a little movie called The Trouble with Harry, which is one of Hitchcock's weirdest little movies. Uh -uh. It's an outright comedy. Oh, it's a murder comedy. I'm totally here for that. It is a daffy weird comedy. (laughs) It's so bonkers. (laughs) It's like like if he gave Alfred Hitchcock Weekend at Bernie's to direct. Oh my. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's like this corpse you can't get rid of it's fantastic <laughs> but uh john michael hayes the the screenwriter um also wrote for inner sanctum and a bunch of old radio series like okay. that also uh, like sam spade and oh um, sure stuff like that and uh he was he along with hitchcock were um nominated for oscars for rear window you know well deserved yeah Let's see what other fun stuff um the Lobster Thermidor probably came from Hitchcock's uh, favorite restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. <laughs> Somebody did their homework on this. I, I was just reading the trivia on this. Uh, the Lobster Thermidor with pommes frites a la julienne. <laughs> um, Julian fries. Right? <laughs> uh, most likely came from Musso and Frank Grill, one of Hitchcock's two favorite restaurants in Hollywood. The dish can be found on their 1954 menu. Huh. Like I said, somebody did their homework. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, also, Edith Head, as we've talked about her before, um, worked a lot with Grace Kelly on her wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And um, Hitchcock liked to have, you know, personal approval and all the the leading ladies' yeah. wardrobe choices. And he was like, hope me... He was hoping, like, maybe, you know, giving her a little bustier look. And, and so Edith Head and Grace Kelly went by and it's like, no, we're not going to do falsies. So Edith Head just, like, trimmed a little bit and different posture and a little, little trimming and oh. fluffing and didn't need falsies. No, no, she did not. <laughs> it's all it's all about the the cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the, the cut and the shape. Mm-hmm. But also Edith had uh, very instrumental in kind of designing looks for all the people in the apartment so they could be identified in a glance. Yeah. Like, especially Mrs. Lonely, or Miss Lonely Hearts, I should say, not Mrs., but Miss Lonely Hearts in her green. Yeah. So even when she goes into another apartment, even though you've only seen her at a distance mm-hmm. for most of the film, you can still see her when you know exactly who it is when she goes into the other apartment. Yeah, yeah. Um. The importance of costuming. Yes. Very important. <laughs> well, especially I, I get so bad with um, 
faces oh, if yeah. I don't get voices to go with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, the blondes were all messing me up. Right. Like, you're all blonde. You're all the same person to me. You're all white blonde women. Like, right. Like, you could be the same actress and I would not know. <laughs> yeah. One of you put on a beard or something. I don't right. know. Like, <laughs> just draw a false mustache. Help me out here. Like, but the, the fact that they were all styled so differently. Yeah. Uh, the newlywed, completely different style from Miss Torso. And mm-hmm. completely different style from Grace Kelly. You know? Right. Like, okay. Thank God I can keep you all straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my uh, face blindness gets a little bit more prominent as I go on in life. I'm like, were you in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be just an age thing. You know, maybe. We, we've all reached Dunbar's number at this point, <laughs> and and it's like I already know 250 people. Who are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever that number is supposed to be. <laughs> My my head is full of as many actors as it's gonna get. So this is all you've got. <laughs> but by God, I will recognize some bit actor from an episode of Law and Order <laughs> in anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> oh man, the the things I can I can remember, and then like actual relatives is like I don't recognize who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I've about, uh, oh, 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 one of the reasons that uh, Hitchcock cast Raymond Burr, aside from him being Raymond Burr, right, was apparently because he looked like David O. Selznick a little bit. <laughs> and Hitchcock hated David O. Selznick. <laughs> David O. Selznick being the producer he, uh, Hitchcock worked with a lot when he first came over to Hollywood. Wow. Yeah. So he just wanted to make a villain of wow. David O. Selznick. Yeah. Wow. Why not? Damn. <laughs> hey, you know what? Whatever, whatever works for your muse, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked. And this is also one of the forefront movies for the concept of the director as auteur. Mm. Um. You know, back in the older days of Hollywood, directors were just managers of the set Mm -hmm. essentially um yeah some of them had their own styles and some very striking styles but they weren't considered anything more important than like the producer or something like that Mm -hmm. and it was right at the kind of the start of the french new wave and you know particularly hitchcock because hitchcock kind of lit off a bunch of stuff in the french new wave because truffaut grabbed onto him so heavily Mm -hmm. and um Hitchcock was one of the first directors to really play his name as a brand. Oh, sure. And so this is one of the first movies where it's like, you know, you get the title. It's Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Yeah. So it's it's, director as brand. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And that's such a big thing now. It's hard to believe that it ever wasn't right you know it's just so ingrained in the way that we look at hollywood oh this person that i like that has directed this other film that i like has directed this one i'm so here for this right you're spielbergs you know it's like you just you just gravitate towards the directors and it maybe wasn't always like that but i suppose that was more the studio yeah a lot of it was studio because oh i like this studio so i'll watch this movie yeah you like well you like this actor and this actor belongs to To the studio studio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the studios were all about shopping the actors around. Yeah. Their stars. It was their cavalcade of stars. Yeah. 
So, yeah. The studio system is so strange to me. It, like, it is weird. Just because it's not something we have now. Yeah, and it was it was so very... And I'm wondering if we're kind of starting going back to it, oddly yeah. enough. Because the, the thing that kept the studio system strong for so long was they also owned their own theater chains. Yeah. So you'd see the Columbia movies over here and the... Uh, you know, Warner Brothers movies over here. And now we're starting to see that fragmentation again of like streaming channels. Like yeah. certain proper, like the HBO stuff you find over here and the Disney stuff you find over here. Mm-hmm. It, it's like going back to this, to the studio system, but like on a smaller scale, but yeah. yet also bigger because of just how much of a beast streaming is. Yeah. And, and the, the sale isn't necessarily the talent. The sale is the property. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Game of Thrones. And yeah, Marvel it's all the franchises. And, yeah, it's all the franchises. Yeah, it's crazy. So, <laughs> the voyeurism evolution. and the birth of the franchise in movies. Yes. There you go. Yes, that's the. <laughs> Those are the bookends. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, dear <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so we can. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any other thoughts about Rear Window? Any other Any other things you want to bring up? Uh, you know, I I did have that comment that I, that I made about um. When I watch these movies, I just realize how much of this stuff I've absorbed through pop cultural osmosis yeah. Yeah. and not knowing the roots of it. Uh-huh. And then you watch things like Strangers on a Train. It's like, oh, I understand that entire trope now. Oh, like, yeah. It, it, so you watch something like this. It's, oh, okay. I get, you know, it, it, there's so much reference mm-hmm. to Rear Window, just in different homage here and there. And oh, yeah. You see it in freaking freaking kids' cartoons, you know. Oh like, yeah, and, and somebody's watching out a window while they have the flu or something, you know. It's just <laughs> it's, it's a kid watching his neighbors and like, oh, I think he's stealing the milk money or something, you know. And, or or like the movie Disturbia, which is oh yes. like a remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's just it, it's amazing when you when you watch the source material. It's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I love about going back and and watching all this stuff is just getting context that i didn't have before oh yeah so yeah i I mean it was i think i mentioned this during our kiss me deadly episode when they open up the box and the great what's it yeah inside the box you never see what's in the box you don't exactly know what's in the box yeah that's like that's the ark of the covenant that is the briefcase in pulp fiction that is it's yeah it's so much i remember watching that movie for the first time and my brain just went (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, this is the genesis of all that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment. Yeah. It's, it's such a great moment. I, I understand so much about the culture now. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> so that was that was my final note. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I'm I'm so glad you liked it. Oh my god, I loved oh, it. Oh, yay. So I've uh I've got another one lined up. The next one I think is another one that you might like. It's a very interesting one. It's a movie called The Third Man. Okay. It's it's one of the the very very highly regarded top of the film noir creme de la creme ones. Okay. So it's it's one of the big ones that we haven't gotten to yet. Okay. So okay. we're getting a pretty good one two punch here. Awesome. All right. I'm into so, it. So so dear listeners, uh, track down a copy of the Third Man, and we will catch you at the next episode. Bye everybody. Bye bye. We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education.
Thank you for joining us for a Real Education Noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. You can find our podcasts and social media feeds on our website at realedunoir.com. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at realedu.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. I've always wanted to meet Mrs. Thorwald.